Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. Joel, where can I find you on threats? <laughs> At JL Shackleton. Um... I made a huge mistake this morning, Cam. What'd you do? I imported my social graph mm-hmm. from Instagram into threads. Oh, no. And that was... And I, you've just duplicated... You've duplicated Instagram with no pictures. <laughs> so I wake up this morning, my first morning of threads. I went mm-hmm. to it intentionally before Twitter. Mm-hmm. And all I saw was 15 threads from YEG Wave. Which is, if you are uh, listening to this and not from Edmonton, they are sort of the um, TMZ of Edmonton. Of Edmonton, yeah, that's good. That's actually a really good way of describing them. Yeah, yeah. So that wasn't good. <laughs> all I saw was bad things happening. Um, first of all, props to YEG Wave for building this crazy viral. I mean, local viral. Yeah, totally. Brand, good for them, mm-hmm. but. Get out of my threads. Get out of my threads. Every thread. So what's the, I think for those, we, I had mentioned in the group chat yesterday, like our, our personal group chat about who has joined it, who's downloaded it. I had been reading about it kind of during the day. I didn't get a chance to download it until kind of the evening. And then I was playing around with it. And so unlike you, I did not import my my Instagram for my social graph into it. You're high went, IQ. Yeah. Smart. Well, I just, I just went, I was like, I want to see what it looks like. What's cause this is supposed to be all kind of curated content, kind of maybe a little similar to what Instagram has turned into in terms of your feed and as well as like YouTube, for example, in terms of your maybe video scroll kind of thing. So like, what am I going to see in there? And I just wanted to, so it's a bit of a jumbled mess for sure. Cause there is no, the algorithm probably didn't have my initial feed to say, oh, well, I have, I know he likes all these people and follows mm-hmm. these people, et cetera. But I did already see like a lot of, there's a lot of sports, a lot of uh, betting, like sports betting stuff. Cause I got, I follow all that kind of thing on various platforms on my phone. So there's obviously, they're obviously grabbing some stuff to figure yep. out what this, like they're starting to curate it pretty quickly. Yep. Um, but it was, I, I don't know how to feel yet. Obviously, I think this is something that it's brand new. We wanted to bring it up today because it is new and everyone's talking about it. And it's going to be the rival to to Twitter. And people are saying, well, how is this going to be different than like Mastodon was, whatever that, however many months ago that was, creates a huge stir immediately. And then everyone just reverts back to Twitter. I think this is a different, this is a different battle that they're going to be going through here in terms I, of the I make, backing of, of the resources behind yeah 
threads. So I had a thread this morning yeah. that commented on Mark Zuckerberg's first tweet in 11 and a half years. And it was the Spider-Man pointing at the other Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. <laughs> and I think the one thing that I have noticed in myself, and this mm-hmm. might be me uh, getting pumping my own tires a little bit, I'm very or have been super right in the past about social media trends. Okay. Um, I went back and read the our TikTok episode, and I, I effectively mentioned that TikTok is going to get going to be enormous. This was pre, it hadn't even hit 20 million users yet. Mm-hmm. And I was using it. It was fairly obvious that it was like, going to get I, I'm really good on this and yeah. I'm going to be a TikTok Well, no, so like here's, here's my issue. <laughs> I've never been interesting enough, funny enough, or quick enough to be someone who can build a following on social media. Okay. But I certainly can f- identify when it's going to work, especially... Mm-hmm. Um, at least lately. Mm-hmm. So in, what I'm trying to get at here is that I've also been a follower of, of Facebook for a very long period of time. I rejected it. I went and looked when I started my Facebook account. It was not early. I didn't want, I was, uh, I was pushing it back against it back in high school when oh, everyone okay. was joining. Yep. However, in this case, if you're somebody who is trying to build a social following, it is always best to be early because there's this thing called the, the waterfall of new followers. And mm-hmm. the social media company specifically pushes people to follow you to increase engagement. Mm-hmm. And if you're early, you have a better chance than if you come in the middle or at the end. So Yeah, I think Zach Efron had one yesterday and he's like this is the first time i've ever joined something on day one because he i think he was famously like four years late on instagram or something like that or six years later something but like that interestingly when you look at twitter and the most pop, like largest followings on twitter it's it's the ashton kutchers of the world and they don't even yeah, tweet for sure and it's because of how facebook they were early to twitter and then twitter when you joined asked you if you wanted to follow these people that same thing's going to happen with Instagram. It's not going to be the same dynamic where if you're a good creator, sorry, with threads. Um, where threads presented by Instagram, I think is what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Notice how they use their still supported brand mm-hmm. rather than a Facebook property mm-hmm. or anyway. For sure. Um, so what I'm trying to say is, is that with, with um, the way in which engagement the way in which the the addiction occurs with threads versus what worked with TikTok is going to be different and i'm not here trying to pitch a strategy for anybody but what i would say is is that it's going to be feel similar to twitter i'm guessing it'll be nicer um, with regards to how people act on the on the on the app itself I think that that is proven just by having a mute and a hide everyone or block people from commenting option that has been long not available on Twitter. I mean, I think just recently they got it. There's there's going to be a push for encryption, a push for privacy, a push for kindness here. And so it's going to have a different look and feel. However, Zuck has been amazing at throwing his weight behind products that he feels are going to be influential in the future. And his hit rate is pretty high. Now, he's similar to Apple where he comes later. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he purchased Instagram. Facebook was yeah. his obvious win. And then since then, he has... How can I make this better? Exactly. And then also, he integrates these things into his, his family of apps yes. in a way in which is, I mean, for lack of a better word, pretty elegant. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, adding stories to the top of Instagram... Most people felt that it was annoying because it took up part of their top of their feed. I don't even scroll down on my app anymore. All I do is watch stories. Mm-hmm. He destroyed Snapchat with that. What is he going to do with threads? I'm not calling it this is the end of Twitter. I absolutely don't believe that to be the case because Twitter has its place with, in politics. And I don't believe that that's going away. I don't feel as though threads and its integration with Instagram is going to have this profound impact on, on politics. I think politics is dirty, always has been, likely always will be. It's not going to be cleaned up because Mark Zuckerberg has decided to throw his two billion person platform behind a new messaging or uh, text focused app. But what I do think is, is that this is going to be a new platform for kindness that is focused on the written word. And I'm guessing it'll integrate voice. So I'm thinking podcasts, those sorts of things. And this Mm -hmm. will be just a new place for those that never felt comfortable on Twitter. They're now able to integrate their social graph from Instagram. Feel as though that there's now this new engagement that maybe Facebook wasn't wasn't working anymore. Right. And now if you're a millennial or Gen Zer who has a large Instagram following, Mm -hmm. you can import that into your thread account. You have those people you're comfortable with. And then you can now build this newer, fresher social graph that could really start to, to benefit. So I'm obviously optimistic about this. I'm talking my book a little bit here. Not investment advice, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that there is something to be said for um, his strategy here. And I want people to think about it in their brains. If you're a Twitter first person, you're assuming my social graph on Twitter is the complete opposite or has no overlap with Instagram. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But again, Twitter has what, 300 daily active users? Maybe. It's probably 300 million, sorry. It's probably 200 million. Maybe 180. They're breaking um, records all the time. Oh, yeah. Elon, so. They're breaking <laughs> a lot of things. I'm not sure it's <laughs> records. Um, Instagram is well over a billion. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot of overlap there. And I believe that this is an interesting opportunity to get more people into a more written social mm-hmm. world, yeah. which could be healthy. Could be, yeah, for sure. I, I, think, I think the fact that it is, I, it's so brand new and there's going to be so many updates and fixes and et cetera, et cetera, in the next six months, I'm sure. So it'll probably be way more interesting for us to talk about this, like both of us using both apps in the next six months and saying, okay, this is how my information churn has changed. Cause that's what I, I think like a lot of people that are our age, what we have used Twitter for originally was who knows what we were using it for, to be honest with you. We were talking to me, talking to each other on Twitter when I first joined in university. So all we were doing, and then it turned into, okay, well, this is how I'm getting, if I want, the news that I need or that I want to wake up to and then maybe checking again at noon or at lunchtime and then again in the evening I'm like reading a recap of everything and I'm I'm curating <clears throat> what I want to hear about based off of who I follow and then I think they did make some good inroads actually with the for you tab in terms of curating other content that you might be interested in I have actually found myself using that 
but right now it's still i think both and i I found this with threads yesterday even it's like it's a bit of a jumbled mess still it's it's one of those things that you're just you're doom scrolling at the end of the day and i think if you're not conscious of that then you're like hey this is great entertainment i'm just following a bunch of people that are putting out stuff that i want to read about or stuff that i want to engage with um i don't even know if like i'd be interested to know about engagement like and that's what they're obviously going there i think it's micro micro blogging is that what they're kind of terming it as in, in threads but obviously you can start something and then there's your your thread and you can read everything how much more are like how many more users are actually going to be commenting on things or is it again just people just scrolling through and reading and seeing the gifts and seeing the links and going to youtube or whatever it needs it the engagement you need to be able to add to the bottom it needs right. i i'm more concerned about reddit here this yeah. is yeah it's because it's it is more of that than it is anything else hilariously this is so perfectly timed because Reddit has had a revolt of late because of the the API blocking. Mm. Same thing happened to uh, Twitter and the most recent, and you were victim, you fell victim to this on July 1st. I did, yeah. Um, to their API banning, but then also their re- restrictions and how many tweets you can read. Mm. It comes at a time when people are fed up with their with their text app social text app mm-hmm. and i i mean if if zuckerberg's anything he's insanely competitive mm-hmm. and i don't i don't think it's a good idea for a lot of people to 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 bet against him in many cases and this here is just another example of him being just so darn good at yeah pretty resilient and striking at the right time yeah He's, I think it will be obviously settled in the octagon between Elon and... Who do you, who do you got? I think... Big man sneaky, Elon or Zuck? I, I just feel like if Elon gets on top of him, <laughs> he might never get up. Because he's like sneaky big. You don't really like notice that. But yeah. like not in terms of like in shape, but I think he, oh, he's not in shape. But he is a big man. But um, I would think I, I might have to, if in true, I guess, MMA style, I think Zuck has to have it. He's got the history. So... That's what I think. I think they're going to build this up for six months, and then they're going to, and then Elon will say, "If I lose this match, <laughs> Twitter is gone," and that will be the pay-per-view event of the season. But okay, so Elon Musk is six one mm-hmm. and a half. Okay, pretty big. Yeah, Zuck's only five seven. Apparently, <laughs> I'm not saying it would not be a mismatch, but I, with the training that he has, you never know. With all that being said, I'm six three. Floyd Mayweather's 5'6". No chance. I know who I'm taking. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> That's for sure. So I, um, I'm, I'm taking Zuck in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, training over size, almost always. Unless that person's also trained, in which case I might go size. Mm-hmm. And Z- Elon is not trained. And he and can't might- even crush Zuck with his wallet because... Zucks is pretty big. Yep. And that same that same rationale you just gave might be the same thing that ends up being the deciding factor between Twitter and threads too. And interestingly, so. that's where I, I another Twitter doesn't have the full focus of Elon Musk. And, For sure it does. And it shouldn't really realistically. And but. Mark Zuckerberg operates social media platforms every day, all day. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, he's navigated what I would say is almost three new regimes mm-hmm. through social media over the last, call it 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. And he's remained dominant. 
for sure. Um, whether it be the the Instagram acquisition, the WhatsApp acquisition, which is just finally starting to to show fruit. It's, I he's been able to defend against YouTube. He's been able to defend against TikTok, which was most people last year said Facebook was over, and now the deceleration of TikTok and its and its popularity, the fact it could get kicked out of uh, of the United States and and just even the Western world more broadly. He is a hard person to bet against. And um, maybe that's the time to sell high, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, interesting. Yeah, ch- check it out, I would say. I think it's like it would be worth people's time just to see if you like it. Obviously, I mean, a lot of people have shied away from Twitter because of the vitriol that is oh. normally attached with anyone. If you If you follow more than 200 people, now what's coming through your feed is like you have to sift through a lot to really get through what you would deem as useful i have lists yeah lists is good we don't need to get into maybe the everything but i think it will be a good case to again i I say this all the time in the pod but i mean we are dealing with a lot of subjects here on a weekly basis that are things where it's like okay it's it's a hot topic and you know week 23 of the year and it really needs to be revisited in you know, another 20 weeks. And this would be an example of this because I think it's going to be very interesting to see the initial uptick. And then now people are going to be every meme that you will see on socials right now will be the Twitter bird being in flames and threads looking at like whatever it might be. It's like, okay, well threads is the new thing. Well, people are going to start complaining and people have already started complaining about what threads is on day one, because obviously no one has patience to see something actually develop into something they might use. But what does this look like in, in, in three months? I think it's going to be very interesting. Like, I mean, we obviously have a sports bend in terms of our, our mind and, and how that works. Like that's one thing that Twitter live tweeting sports live following along with people that you that you like um while watching sports together that's one thing that's been a big part of at least how i use the app and i think how a lot of people use the app is like following these live things and it'll be interesting to see how threads works with that because again how your content is curated on there is essentially just a a, a continuous scroll so like once you refresh are you now losing something like how do you how do you stay engaged i guess might be the, oh, i completely the next agree step. that's so that'll that's be really interesting, interesting to see how that morphs over the next three four months and heading into kind of from a sports perspective again whatever like the biggest sports are going to be mm-hmm. starting in the next three months call it so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that morphs from that standpoint and then also from Obviously, you said this is supposed to be an engagement app. Okay, well, what are the what are the big news agencies doing? They're obviously going to jump on board and want to be put, pushing things through here. So does Threads turn into... Something? Not in Canada, though. <laughs> Not in Canada. That's right. Not allowed. We're, we're, unless you pay our, our glorious um, media companies, mm-hmm. you're not going to be on social media. You're not going to be on social media. Nope. That's right. What but, a good decision. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we were already behind the eight ball. Just put us further <laughs> behind it. The uh, I think it, it will be interesting to see how they use it, and then what people's reactions will be. It's like, well, I didn't I didn't come here to see this stuff, and now I'm seeing it again. Is that what I want to be engaged with, etc.? So it, again, we're one day into this experiment, but I think it's definitely worth. It's as you pointed out, really easy to sign up, especially if you already have an Instagram account, obviously and to get immediate content that you would likely find interesting. So, Yeah, no. So let's move into the market update. Have you been paying attention? The first half of the year is over. 
yeah, it's. I, Q2, Q3. I, I'm usually pretty interested in June 30th with my job, so I have been noticing that yeah. the year is over. But yeah, wild. So um, first, first half 2023 is the best six months the Nasdaq has ever had. I'm sure if you asked ten people, nine of them would not say that. Like just off the top, if you're like, what's your general? Like, what do you think is happening right now with the NASDAQ or with the markets in general? People will probably not say. They'd be like, my house value is down. I don't know about you. (laughs) I can't confirm it because I haven't sold it. (laughs) But the house value is down. Yeah. Reform Millennials is telling me that my house value is (laughs) down. Yeah. All all 4,000 people. So, um, yeah, U.S. equities broadly have had a phenomenal first half of the year. And, I mean, versus the rest of the world, it's been pretty crazy Mm. now historically can that continue yeah it can however we should expect there to be some form of catch-up from the rest of the world the problem is there hasn't really been a catalyst for that whether or not we we start to see more significant quantitative easing out of china um, whether or not europe can get its inflation problem under under control and it's unrest problem yeah there's some some major issues there and i I don't really want to dive into the what's happening in france because i quite frankly i I haven't read enough about it and i don't quite understand no it's just i mean obviously it's been in the news and very shocking certainly some of the images and videos and whatnot but i think the the way to sum it up is that there's a lot of volatility right now 100 percent. and to your point i think that's also been spurred by the lack of economic recovery yeah. that you, they that we've seen in some of the biggest like in the the Frances and the UK for like they've been they've been dealing with some of the issues that we would have been identifying and talking about 18 months ago mm-hmm. and although for sure inflation is still a discussion point we're talking about interest rates still in, in North America it's if you were to mirror that conversation overseas we would be in a much different position I don't know if I if this is a fact and this is just me kind of thinking about things historically is there anything more or better correlated with inflation than political unrest mm. in europe specifically just look back to between the great war world war one and world war two who got in power and why and the apparently at some point they were seeing something to the tune of 30 percent daily inflation on goods in germany mm-hmm. between 19 19- 20 and 1930 mm-hmm. um it is well civil, civil unrest or civil unrest or the <laughs> if you want happiness scale if you want to talk about that people are unhappy people to start reaching out to or start identifying with more extreme thoughts 100 and things tend to spiral from there so completely agree so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to continue on with what I was See what's happening here. Yeah. yeah. So <sighs> Wall Street analysts are raising their estimates. We are fairly firmly in a, the definition of a bull market again. J.C. Peretz made this call back in September last year. And my goodness, was he right? He was we had, he had Fox Business News. He had MSNBC calling him crazy. And um, nine months, 10 months later, he's he's kind of just told you sowing his way around um, media. So I think that when you look back in, in the rear view mirror, mirror, there's a really great lesson to be learned. Um, and, and when 
when it all seems so dark and black and, and scary, especially in financial markets, you're, you're oftentimes near a short-term bottom. And it's really challenging to, to work through that. I think that that's where, why I always feel I'm going to have a job. The, the working through that and working through it with clients and, and just talking people through what's happening is, is a exercise that's challenging but worthwhile. So the psychology um, and the, the fortitude that is required in this, in this industry or just investing in general, I think we've really learned a lot over the last 12 months, but even the last three and a half, four years. So looking out forward through the next half of this year, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure where oil prices are going. I, I have no prediction for anybody here. Mm-hmm. We've had a really good run in, in equities. The, the bond market and, and high-yield spreads have really started to tighten, but it's hard to ignore the fact that you can get a, in, in the high-yield market, you can get a really great um, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10% coupon on pretty reasonably strong companies in that double B, triple B region. It's hard to ignore the, the attractiveness of fixed income right now. I listened to a phenomenal podcast. Uh, uh, a listener of the show, um, you know this guy, Mr. Gramatovich, sent to me. And it was it kind of put this into perspective for me, where equities have truly gotten to, a, a especially U.S. equities, an expensive region mm-hmm. versus history at 21, 22 times, or 21 times earnings, something along those lines. And um, it's hard not to start to look at other fixed income options out there. So I implore people to, to kind of take a look at their portfolio, see what, what's going on there, and see uh, whether or not you're positioned appropriately for your your financial situation and, and the goals that you're trying to, to obtain. But more broadly, great first half of the year. The next second half of the year, we're, we're kind of moving through that presidential cycle where it's now becoming a little bit more a, we're now looking into a presidential run. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see that both parties suss out who their 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 um, their candidates are going to be. Uh, I'm not here to make any predictions there, but the market itself has been been hot, and it's pretty clear that it's it's concentrated in in the technology sector for sure. And um, we're just starting to see the Dow Jones 30, so the the biggest the biggest stocks in the in the Dow really. To, to play catch up with the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. And this, this market starting to broaden where the breadth of, of participants is, is growing. And that's, that's encouraging. And I think that I want to go through the top 10 performing stocks of the year. And I think a few of these might surprise people. Yeah. And a little bit in contrast of what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. But I think obviously the focus is on like in terms of who makes up the like the context I'm talking about is we were describing who makes up the S&P 500 and the I think it was the eight maybe last week or the week before where we were talking about okay it's Meta it's Google it's Amazon it's etc. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best performing stocks of the year though in terms of net gains. So I think this is what you're kind of diving into now. Yeah. So for those listening, this is the top ten performing stocks in the in the United States as of July 4th in U.S. dollar terms. But coming in at 10th is General Electric. Brand new company just came out. <laughs> uh, IPO'd last year, I think. No, um, one of those businesses that was 
Left for Dead. Mm-hmm. This would be one of the companies that you'd be scared of because it would be considered a value trap. Uh, buying it at six, seven times earnings, thinking it's gonna it's gonna double and it's gonna um, go to fifteen times earnings. Anyways, that occurred effectively. Uh, it's up sixty five and a half percent this year. Coming up next is is Plute Group. No one knows what that is, um, but AMD seventy seven point nine percent this year. Um, that's a competitor to NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. They are a leading edge um, semiconductor company. Norwegian I Cruise there's, Lines. There's two man. cruise lines on this list. Two cruise lines. There's many ways to make money in this market. But interestingly, this year, cruise lines are taking part. Um, up 83.6%. Palo Alto Networks. So this is another, um, let's call it, cloud-focused business up 84.6%. Royal Caribbean Cruise, boom, up 113%. I mean... People are just realizing, they're like, I need to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. And I need to get myself on a large tube for the next two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. You you knew there was going to be... How quickly do we forget, honestly? Remember when people were stuck on cruise liners? Oh, my... Yeah. Yeah. When the initial... And I had two two, uh, clients of mine were stuck in... In Florida, when like COVID hit in March, they were there for three weeks. That would have been my living hell. Like, I mean, still the idea of a cruise is just nothing appeals to me on that. But um, it has been a me- the fact that it's rebounded like this this year is like this is probably like the first year where it's like okay, people are finally comfortable again and are on the vacation spending. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's too expensive to fly to Europe now and get a hotel yep. and it's like okay well this all in package in uh, Norwegian cruise lines is actually a way better deal yes so half the price of my flights to Europe so <laughs> exactly. deal yeah. but interestingly personally we cancelled our flight to Tokyo and our trip to Tokyo can't afford it mm-hmm. too expensive who invented these prices <laughs> um, but just to, to round it out it's the obvious winners you got Tesla up 142% you have um, Meta, Meta that's up 130 yeah. and then you have NVIDIA the king up 195.5%, just a phenomenal year. The price-to-earnings ratio on it is shocking by almost all accounts. <laughs> but they do make money, which is interesting. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go through that to give people um, an understanding that it's not always the leading-edge tech that, that takes the cake. There is opportunity and value sometimes. It's insanely hard to pick because mm-hmm. even after a 65.5% run, General Electric versus the S&P 500 has way underperformed. Mm-hmm. We talked about that last year, or last last episode. Yeah. So take all of this with a grain of salt. Um, by no means are these these recommendations. Yeah, it was nice of you to share like what 10 stocks I picked. Like that was my, those were all mine. Yeah, so, yeah. I know. When we started this, <laughs> I think our um, predictions episode, January 1st, you said all 10 of those businesses. I was like, please, the cruise lines, please. <laughs> I'm for sure picking cruises. Um, so, Cam, you want to talk real estate quick? I've seen a lot of podcast titling in this realm mm-hmm. where they're saying, is the real estate market... Everything's uh, fixed. Is the correction over? It's fine now. Yeah. So, for those that are listening, I had to go and get a fixed term rate on a new mortgage because we're yep. pending on a new property. Mm-hmm. Guess what that fixed two-year term is? Two-year term. I actually don't know if I... Start with a three. 
up. 4.6. 5.91. Okay. I thought you could get in the fours maybe, but um, I guess with a two-year. If you just. Tougher. If we went out on the curve a little bit more. I thought you had some hookups, man. I thought maybe you could get. <laughs> <sighs> we, we don't. Too. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> so um, it's, it's shocking. I'm hoping that by possession day, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to be able to find something better. But that's what our current locked rate is. It's not great at all. It, it is shocking. I can't wait to show you the interest on, an, on the mortgage after this. Oh, don't. Yeah. You don't have to. Nothing on that front will be shocking to me in terms no, of. No, it's good. You can do the math pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to, to speak to more broadly is, is the real estate correction over. And I've had very recently, I'm not going to mention his name, but my mortgage broker, the new mortgage broker that I've been working with is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He is so sharp. And I, it gave me a new appreciation for the industry. This guy, he's talking yield curves with me. He's, he's talking about debt packages being purchased by banks. He knows what he's talking about. And so what's his viewpoint? So he said to me when we we're having this conversation last night, he's like, Joel, I'm going to default to you. You're more... Um, ingrained into the or tapped into where uh, interest rates are going over the next five years i'm like don't give that to me <laughs> i want i want your opinion mm-hmm. put some skin in the game which he would he didn't want to do um he i think sees it the same way as me and that's we're about to see who breaks first either the market breaks and this is Canada. I don't see this issue in the United States. They have long-term 20 to 30-year fixed lock-in. Something like 60% they have, they have, of the country refinance yeah. their mortgages over COVID. It's they have other issues with their market. Yeah. Which we've talked about like before like the the regionalism of of certain issues mm-hmm. with their housing like they have certain they have certain issues that are the same here like we've talked about like under under supply. Um of, of housing and, and affordable housing in certain areas Absolutely. and like the rent control issues they have in certain like big cities, et cetera. We're not going to talk about that today, but like it, the, I think the issues in, in Canada are maybe a bit more pointed and we obviously have a lot smaller population. And what we're talking about in the context of, I, I would assume this conversation, it's, it's mostly in the major centers. We're not talking about buying a home in St. Paul. If you have a listener from St. Paul, we love you. Thank you for listening. But in the context of this conversation, it's more focused to the the Edmonton, the Calgarys, the the Ottawa's, Toronto's, Toronto's, Vancouver's, Montreal's, like that. That's where the moving and shaking happens in terms of shaping the housing market. Yes, eighty percent of the population lives in those regions. So, I mean, I don't know if that's actually a factual number. I'm just guessing. That's a pretty good number. Ninety nine live in. If you wouldn't have said anything, I'd be like, "Mm -hmm." yeah, Yeah. for sure. Ninety nine (laughs) percent of people live in Toronto. Just ask them. Uh, So, I, I. I don't think that it's the corrections over. I really don't. And if we don't see a deceleration or a uptick in employment, unemployment, sorry, Mm -hmm. I don't see how one of these two things blink. And that's either the bank of Canada blinks and starts to cut rates or the market corrects on price. Mm -hmm. We've seen a 10% drop in our town, which is a pretty stable market. It's the highest income of across Canada on an average basis. St. Albert might have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah, St. Albert might be higher. Sorry. <laughs> um, however, that generally means that you're going to have a, a stable housing yeah, yeah, market sure. that yeah. is supported, right? 
and it's it's down 10% apparently, according to my real estate agent. Um, when you start to look at major cities, and the RBC data on this is shocking when you look at Calgary. It is accelerating. It is going up. You can tell that the, the most recent immigration data that's coming out on a quarterly basis and month over month basis, 12,000 people moving to Alberta apparently over the last 30 days. It is not slowing down in our province. Edmonton, less hot for sure. As someone as me who's looking at it, there hasn't been a ton of competition for if you're trying to buy a house. Supply is not there, but nonetheless, buyers aren't. There's not as many as in Calgary, obviously. Yeah, well, I think usually Edmonton's lows are not as low as Calgary and Edmonton's highs aren't as high, right? There's mm. a lot more volatility in, in the housing and, in, and just in general in the economy in Calgary. So that, that kind of trends, I would say, or 100%. properly. So with the exception of Alberta, I was just in Toronto for collision. I was talking to clients, to some friends, some of um, Adriana's old um, classmates, and the sentiment there is not nearly as good. People are in what seems to me a somewhat of a crisis, um, dealing with variable mortgages, dealing with uh, terms that are extended past what is reasonable, mm-hmm. past where their retirement likely will be. Um, we're going to go into this new regime where we've never been comfortable with, where we have houses that could be multi-generational. And it's not because they are trying to pass these down to people. It's because they have to. And that is a problem. So one thing needs to break. If price breaks, the economy breaks. And if the Bank of Canada breaks, it's likely because of that. Or it's because the United States has led the, the, the march lower. The one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is where our dollar is versus theirs. And if we start to cut rates while they maintain theirs, mm-hmm. because their economy can handle it, we're putting ourselves into a precarious situation, I think. You can't have a dollar fifty, dollar sixty CAD versus US dollar. It just doesn't work for our economy. At least it hasn't in the past. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that really in quite some time, probably since we were kids. And I mean, don't quote me on that, but that's the last time I remember it. Yep. Um, and if it was pr- since then, it was for a brief period. It just doesn't work the way that our economic dynamic is. Um, it's great if you're an exporter, but it's terrible if you're a service provider. Our banks, our insurance companies, our tech companies are not going to like that dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we need to take a look at that if you're trying to, to look out. Um, if you're looking for a good mortgage broker, also reach out to me. I'll hook you, you up with this fellow. He's phenomenal. Um, but that's just my, my thoughts around new real estate right now. I, no, <laughs> we do not have a sponsor. My new employer will not allow that. Um, maybe in the future, though. So maybe Like McDonald's or something? There's got to be some heavy hitters out there that want to get on the pod. Um, I agree with you. My, my, my opinion is less rooted in data at this point and more rooted in what I'm, I guess, just seeing and hearing. And I think we're coming off of... We, we both have real estate agent friends and I think they're just kind of coming off their first little high, right? Because I think there's like March through June, usually a uptick in activity, people kind of rolling over on their, if they're up going to move, they're going to do it at that time of year. Yeah. Especially with kids and stuff like that, you want to get in, get out, get settled in in the summer and then be ready for the fall for school. So from, from talking to my real estate agent 
contacts anyways are saying, well, no, we've just kind of gone through our first like big glut of, of what we would say is busy time. And then potentially again, maybe some more activity over the summer, a little bit here and there peaks and valleys a little bit in the fall. And then you kind of, you know, go into winter time when it's usually quieter. And I think it's easy to say that coming off a busier time that, you know, Oh, maybe things aren't as bad as we might first have thought. I think the underlying rhetoric that we have been talking about for the last 12 months. And I mean, the, the fact that we've had so much uncertainty with what we think is going to happen with rates one week, we're saying it's going to, there's a 75% chance of a increase and it's 25% chance of an increase. And it's like, well, now it's it's actually going to be multiple increases or now it's going to be a 75% chance of a cut coming in six months. And now I think the latest out of bank of Canada anyways, is that Q2 of 24 would be, where they view as being the first cut cut coming. And so if you just like look at that and then also take a step back and think about, again, we had chatted about there already being stories out there of these variable rate mortgage issues and people having to um, well, essentially sell their homes because they can't afford it anymore. And that, that reckoning day has been for a small percentage of homeowners right now. We've already talked about that 2020 back half of 23, 24 mainly is going to be, there's going to be a lot of people who are and 25 for that matter, actually as well, uh, refining homes and coming up and make, having a decision to make. And so I think ultimately there's still going to be a lot of, if people are looking towards that and saying, you know, I can't afford to get out of my 2.5% fix that I'm currently in if I was going to go buy a home. So I'm going to sit and wait and, because there's such a large portion of the population that would be, I would say, currently financed under that regime, there's, I think it's just going to be very stagnant. I think there's obviously going to be pockets of success still, and there's always going to be you know, areas of Edmonton, areas of Calgary, areas of Toronto that, that spur sales and purchases because of one thing or the other, like some kind of larger economic driver that's maybe happening in a specific area of these cities. But by and large, I think we're, I think we're still in it for the long haul. And I even look at very, very like a small microcosm. You talked about the town that we live in and how it's dropped 10%. There's been three homes go up in my area, which would be a pretty like decently affluent and more like an older area. Like most of the homes were built in, I say older compared to some of the newer developments, I I guess, but like most homes built in like between 2002 and 2006 for the most part. So like not, not old, old homes, but like older when you compare it to some of the other, I guess maybe more desirable uh, developments in, in our town specifically, but they were like this time last year, last three years, I would say before this summer, if any of these homes were on, there was a sale sign on it within three or four days. And I've been, I guess I don't know exactly, but I I think almost each home has been on for a minimum 21 days. And I would say extending to like 45 on a couple of them. And that's probably not what they were thinking going into it. And so there's been, you know, there's more price drops, there's more, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I just see it just, if you just drive around and if you keep tabs on how long homes are staying on the market. And then again, like you said, like just generally speaking, maybe a 10% drop in our area. Um, you know, 
exponentially or if you extrapolate that out into other areas i think it's i think it's a trend <laughs> unfortunately and i think that there is i don't want to say pain coming necessarily but i think what we what we've talked about previously is going to come to fruition i don't see that unless some you know major changes happen in terms of the macroeconomic policy that's being spit out by the bank of canada I completely agree with you. And that's not a good thing. We got to figure out how we can disagree. <laughs> how can, yeah, how can you have a different yeah. viewpoint than me cuz I yeah. don't like this. I, I think it, we're seeing that too just even in some of my clientele like corporate um, uh, sorry, like corporate clients with with residential housing, residential like apartment complexes like lots of people are actually trying to like the the really good ones to be honest with you were started 2022 we're like okay i want to refi right now and yeah they took a bit of a hit but they were like we know we think we know what's coming yeah and you know looking back six like i'm working on kind of 2022 year ends over the last three months and you're like wow that was a really good decision no kidding hey eh? so there there's been i think if you and I think some of those when you when you're holding multiple residential properties and you're hold, or having a, a you know multiple apartment complexes etc. Obviously, your exposure risk compared to you and I with where we're just talking about having our principal residence and making a decision with homeowning when it comes to that. We look at a more at a higher level with more exposure to your <laughs> to your way of life. I think there's been there's already been a movement there where um, people have identified the fact that. This is uh, we're in it for the long haul. I guess you could call it that way. F one. Okay, I have the, a bone to pick here. Okay, yeah, we've I talked, tried because I would say just just for context here. So Joel and I were chatting right before we started recording, and we have been everybody for that matter has been pumping the tires of F one for the better part of two years, and the data that we've been referencing in past podcasts i would say are all based off of before this year started and joel made the comment that i can't watch it anymore because it's just like what am i tuning in for it's one guy that's 34 seconds ahead of everybody else and so for those of you that don't watch it's like watching Sidney crosby win a stanley cup i don't want to watch that i think it's way worse than that (laughs) I, i think it's 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 essentially there's no competition for the top spot and i think the general this was talked about I, th- I think Joe Pomp actually who's been a huge obviously proponent of F1 talking about it all the time I think he had a little tweet thread which I did not put into the notes but I'm so I'm just going off this um, kind of Cole's notes or from memory so either him or somebody else that does these these sports threads and he was talking about how uh, generally speaking that the like you could, they could not have hit at a better time when they did so that I mean the COVID hit, people were watching more things on Netflix, the show gained huge popularity that next year into F1 there was the most competitive year with the most controversy on record when you had Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton essentially battling it out for top spot all year and it was like back and forth like one would win three in a row, one mm-hmm. would win two in a row one would win five in a row, whatever it comes down to the last race, ends in huge controversy goes into the next year there's all this kind of I guess excitement around the next year because of the competition, because of the 
recent announcements for extended U.S. races and obviously the popularity in North America had is kind of bubbling and then they found that momentum with obviously like the new car design in the next year and all this stuff and now it's kind of been kind of a year and a half later call it we're about i think halfway through this year's um this year's season and they're from the start of last to now i think verstappen or red bull have won it's got to be 85 percent of the races this lot like this year specifically has been absolute domination there's just essentially you can you can pick you can you know who's on top of the podium before the race even starts yeah and i don't know in and i'm going to give you a little not a history lesson here but just because i've been watching f1 with my dad since i was like six seven years old and it was never really about like yes if if you if you supported a racer if you supported a team that was at the upper echelon so call it in top three teams there was probably more competition back then a little bit but at the same time there was there was definitely seasons where it was one guy and it was like kind of like the the competition was to see if he can break a record it wasn't about him racing against everybody else it was about him against himself or him against the the history books Mm -hmm. which is kind of what max is doing this year he's setting records for you know consecutive wins or uh fastest to this at his age whatever it might be it's more about like if you support if you like the team that's from mclaren and it's like okay well they're based off of their money spend or where they're at we it would be amazing if they finish fourth and you're excited for that and you're excited about someone finishing fourth but that's not really how north american sports works in my mind it's about who's the best and i want to see the best of the best competing against each other in a in a competitive match at the very top that's what draws the eyes. Mm-hmm. If there's a really is it, if there's good competition for who finished the seventh place, that's cute. But we don't really care about that. So I'll let you. I know you started it, and I kind of took over this. But they've now they've they've capitalized. I would say F one on their their rise to fame in North America, and they've now established the Miami race. In addition, they always had the Texas race, and now they have the Miami race, which has been around for a couple of years. And then Vegas is about to happen the next few months. I think it's in the fall, actually, maybe when when Vegas runs. But they've added these three these three races, and that's that's great. I don't know. Like, I'm going to be very interested to see the after this season is over, and obviously what information gets released. I'm not sure what F1 would or would not release on this, but in terms of their viewership in like with races in north america i'll be very interested because i've heard the same sentiment from multiple people like lots of younger people in the age range of like 23 to 27 at my office very gung-ho about it two years ago started doing fantasy f1 all these other things and now you know we're at an event and we're talking and i'm like oh what do you think of the year so far and they're like ah it's kind of boring to be honest like i'm a verstappen fan but it's like i i tune in and there's no, nothing. There's just him at pole, him. He's a second faster than everyone per lap. Which, like, speaks to, like, I mean, you do have to think about him talking in the con. Like, Does Lu- Perez suck, or is the car that good? Well, that's the thing. So it's like, yeah, his, his teammate is not as fast, which is, like, some of it is still, like, the cars are not the same because they can do different upgrades. Sure. Um, obviously, talent level is one thing I was going to talk about. Like, you do have to also appreciate the fact that maybe he's that good of a driver, like, Lewis Hamilton is now on the kind of back end of his career, but he was that dominant. He was that much better than other people as well. And in that much better of a car for a lot of years, we, people also love dominant, like 
Michael Jordan won six championships in a row. Was that was that the best thing for the sport? I would argue yes. That was they were never more popular. LeBron James and Steph. We talked about in the NBA, LeBron and Steph going at it against each other. You knew what was going to happen before the end of the year. But in all of those things, it's always that person against somebody else. Whereas in this, it's truly like he is going racing against, and there's probably going to be, maybe the other teams will catch up a little bit in the back end here. He's racing against the history books. But he's racing against the history books. And it's not as compelling unless you are truly invested. If you are a Fairweather fan. That's me. And that's, yeah. And that's a lot of people. It's like, I want to tune in to see a great race and I want to see passing. I want to see bumping. I want to see whatever it might be that's going to lead to competition versus you saying, wow, like I can't believe how smooth max was for 56 laps. And he got the fastest lap 12 times yeah. in there. And can't wait et cetera, to, et cetera. to not watch his, his interview afterwards. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that doesn't help the fact that he's not the most interesting and welcoming media guy either, but it is an interesting case study to see, um, or it's going to be an interesting case study to see how, now they've reverted back to what's I would say what was, has been an F one issue for the last like when again when I, I referenced Lewis Hamilton won seven in a row that was the knock always there too was that he only out of those seven wins or there was maybe like one or two seasons where there was true competition for the top like for the lead dog and it's like well how are we ever going to attract more fans who aren't um, invested in kind of the teams to say like. I want to see my team or my guy battle for third place or for fourth place because that would be just such an accomplishment. There's a lot of fans that don't care about that and aren't. They just want to see, like, I don't care. I might not even be following a single racer. I just like the idea of F1 and it's great racing and it's great competition. You're not seeing that on a week-to-week basis. I vote Max can't race the rest of the year. <laughs> they just give him first every race and then everyone else battles for second but will we won't have to watch Max win. Mm-hmm. So we can just focus on the rest of the pack. Yeah. <laughs> that seems fair. Um, yeah, I'm a Fairweather F1 fan. I've been trying to get into it. I find it fascinating for sure. Just the because of the, the Netflix show, I got re-engaged with the last, last season, just given the dramatics mm-hmm. of, of even the past two seasons, has uh, re-engaged my interest. And then this year happened, and I'm just not there. It is. Um, a, so it's also one though. Do you, if, I think if like the people that I know that are the biggest fans are the ones who will watch. Like they're they're watching every single minute of coverage from Friday to Sunday. So like, oh yeah, all that stuff is interesting to them. Like the practice and the and the qualifying and and the race itself, and all like the, the the coverage around it is pretty insane like the if you if you want to invest some money into like the f1 package like the access that you can get from it is very interesting and the ability to maybe learn more about what goes into the fact that max is so dominant or why x team does not have the ability to be as competitive you learn more about that in terms of number one the the money spend like certain teams obviously have there is a cap but there's still there's teams that are haves and have nots in in the um in the realm of upgrades to the vehicle when they can do those upgrades etc but if you don't know and again if you're a fairweather fan you're just tuning in on sunday to the race what you were sold on from a product standpoint when it was at its height is not what it is today so that's going to be a i think a big issue for them to work around going forward because 
I mean, if you act, I'm sure if you ask Max or Red Bull, they love this. They don't care. It's like, be better. That's what they're telling everybody else. Be better, get more money. But that's not necessarily the best thing for the F1 brand on a go-forward basis, especially its continued expansion in North America. I think it's a poor idea for me to have a further opinion on this. You... Uh, you you at the beginning cut me off in with sport passionate about no 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 and I it's I'm glad because I, I just don't have the depth and I don't have an opinion worth worthwhile here and um, I want to get into recommendations here mm-hmm. and for myself I listened to um, a very good podcast which kind of started to um, build out my breadth of knowledge with artificial intelligence and it was a it was an interview with Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman, for those that don't know, is was a founder of PayPal, who then founded LinkedIn, who then was a co-founding investor in OpenAI, so the, the company that has brought to you ChatGPT, and has now split off with um, Mustafa um, Suleiman, who is one of the founding um, people behind uh, DeepMind, Google's mm-hmm. AI, and they have started a new company called Inflection AI. Inflection AI is building what I would basically define as a personal assistant. And I think that listening to this specific episode is well worth everyone's time. If you have any interest in utilizing tools around artificial intelligence, um, chatbots, those sorts of things. So highly recommend that episode. We'll um, avoid the F1 race coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one this weekend, Silverstone. So yeah. um, I, I think on just as a comment on your recommendation, I think it's these are the kind of things that like I'm interested in. I think people need to be interested in is hearing it from the folks who have developed this stuff and been involved in this stuff to, to kind of sift through how does this make my life better? How can I apply this to my life? And that that's the because I, I think you can probably go down a rabbit hole on like <laughs> go onto the app store right now and see just put AI in the amount like the like you said before like I, I think I can't remember the numbers you talked about but the number of companies that have spurred out in the AI space either from a language model or a personal assistant whatever it might be in the last six to nine months is really overwhelming so you need to find media like this in order to gain an understanding of where it's like, how am I going to, how does this apply to a, the accountant or how does this yeah. apply to, you need a filter on the, exactly the waterfall of stuff. It's literally putting your mouth around a fire hose right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's just not a good idea. And I, it's one of my, my, my two skills I have apparently mm-hmm. it's, I'm a, I'm a good filter of information. I feel and also pretty darn good at predicting where social media trends are going. And that's literally about it. <laughs> Neither of those things are that imp- impressive. Uh, so someone else needs to tell me about the rest of the stuff. Yeah, exactly. The, um, I don't really have much for, I've, I've been sleeping for three days. Um, getting caught up on sleep. Getting caught up on sleep. Uh, but I have, enter- I'll just throw an entertainment one in there. I watched the, I think it's a five episode seri- docu-series on, the American Gladiators, which was just a huge nostalgic piece, right? Um, is Michael Hearn in it? He's not in the doc, no. Like, I mean, I know he was in it. They talk about the, obviously, the creation of it. So, 89 was, I didn't actually realize this. So, 1989 was the first year, I think, okay. of it. And then it goes to 1995, I think, was the full 
the full gambit and I won't get into all of it, but it was just very interesting to, I, I guess sometimes you, you think about this with, um, <laughs> you learn about this with like talk shows, for example, like, like, oh, talk shows on every night. It's like, yeah, well they record <laughs> a million episodes in a day, like, like uh, family feud or Price is Right, for example. Like, there's multiple shows a day, and then they spin them out over the week or whatever. So, the, the commitment level and resources and all that kind of stuff. So, with with originally, anyways, with American Gladiators, it was they would do everything like in a like a two month period, and they would have all their episodes for the year, or like mm-hmm. a one month period or something like that. It was very short, their actual like season kind of thing in terms yeah. of recording, and then obviously that would spell out on TV in a much longer form. Um, but they talk about the original creation and finding the gladiators and then just how like those, I think it was like original six or six or eight of them, how like close they were realistically, like how they were like just hearing them, like you're listening to them. You're like, okay, this is, seems a little dramatic or whatever, but just the way that they were connected and saw each other as like teammates almost kind of thing. And then how it all kind of fell apart basically after season three and they did like this like they did a 120 city tour like on a bus and they, i didn't even know any of this stuff happened and they just go through kind of the the rigmarole of of the i guess the life cycle of that show and how certain decisions were made at certain points that like really derailed it but the result and it's also a story of a lot of bad business deals that were made um by the oh, gladiators themselves it. like essentially is like signing contracts in perpetuity for very low pay. Like, cause like, I mean, not that they were preying on people, but I mean like the, these gladiators were, I wouldn't say failed athletes, but they were athletes that did not make it to the top or their bodybuilders did not make it to the top. So then they're, they're, they're in Hollywood trying to make it and they're presented this opportunity and they're like, yeah, this is great. I'm getting paid to do something. And then it blows up. And then it's one of those stories, like they didn't have a piece of merchandising. They didn't have a piece of this. They didn't have a piece of that. And so there, there was no collective bargaining on their, <laughs> on, on their behalf. Yeah. And so it's, it was pretty interesting. A, a, a little bit, um, I think it's actually even in the title, it's like an unauthorized docuseries. So it's always only for really from oh, okay. the viewpoint of, of the, um, some of the creators and then the, uh, the athletes themselves or the gladiators themselves. And so it was, it was worth, I think they're like 30, 40 minutes an episode kind of thing. So kind of quick hitters, but again, a piece of nostalgia for us nineties kids. Cause I remember for sure watching, I, I guess I wouldn't have watched much of it live cause I would have only been six, seven years old, but those were on repeat. Like that was a syndicated show that was on repeat for forever. And I used to remember watching all that stuff with my parents and it was always, a uh, Again, a piece of nostalgia that I think '90s kids, us millennials, kind of reflect with. So that was good. I think um, just as my my last comment on that, I'm definitely going to watch that. However, they would have all done very well to have rolled their modest salary into the WWE or the WWF, World Wrestling Foundation, founded in 1980. Obviously, Vince McMahon has done a very good job there. But if they would have done that. Well, they talked about that. They do talk about some of that stuff and the opportunities that came up and that were rejected at the time. So, yeah, it's worth it's worth a watch, I would say. It's uh, again, like you're not talking about the um, the creme de la creme in terms of um, production value with with everything. But it's it's you are getting kind of raw uh, feedback from some of these folks and you're like, okay, like I could, if I was in that position, I could see how you make this deal. So 
and and to see how kind of and to see the downfall of it too was was interesting i know it had a revival there for like maybe a year i think last year the year before they they reintroduced it but it was is one of those things that um yeah could have been what could have been is one of those it's one of those stories yeah 100 percent uh let's leave it there i'll see you between monday and friday next week sounds great